Good morning, everybody. Welcome here this morning. It was beautiful to watch you guys worship this morning, and I hope you can make my sermon as beautiful as the worship. Well, we're in a series of, uh, on faithfulness, on the faithfulness of God through the book of Exodus. Exodus is the second book of the Bible, and it describes the life of Moses and the deliverance of the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land. Today we're going to look at uh, Exodus chapter 3. This is one of the big chapters in the Bible. This is the one where God meets Moses at the burning bush. Before I read uh, the story to us, it is important that we take a look back and see what has brought Moses and the Israelites uh, to this point. So preceding this story that we'll talk about today is the, God's promise to Abraham that his descendants were going to be his holy people and that they would be this powerful nation. Abraham has one son, Isaac. Isaac has a couple of sons, one of whom is Jacob. Jacob's name gets changed to Israel, and he has 12 sons, known as the 12 tribes of Israel. One of Jacob's sons is Joseph, of the Technicolor Dreamcoat fame, who ends up in Egypt, and then, due to a famine, the rest of Israel's family also moves to Egypt as well. For those of you who are looking for the Coles notes, the cheat form of the Old Testament, you can find these, this story in a condensed version. Uh, Acts chapter 7, uh, Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin, gives it all in a real quick nutshell. So if you're just trying to catch up on the Old Testament, Acts chapter 7 is the place to do it, and you can find out all about the stories there. The background is important because God is about to speak directly to Moses. The last time that God spoke directly with someone was Jacob, back about 400 years before Moses. It was in Genesis chapter 46. It's only a few chapters in the Bible, but 400 years have gone by. It says, I am the God, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you and will surely bring you back again. It's the last recorded words of God. Uh, we go through Joseph, no, real, he had a vision, but the words of God were to Jacob. So for 400 years, the stories of God went to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and they, they got passed down through the Israelites. But you got to wonder how strong and how confident the Israelites were that God would know about them, would care about them, that he would come and rescue them. God was quiet for 400 years. They had been promised that they were going to be a nation. But here they are, stuck in slavery. That's all they can remember. And God has been totally quiet about it for 400 years. How many of you, you can trace your line, your family, back to the 1600s? 
and you know who your great, 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 however many greats grandpa was. It's anyone? So if that person that looks like, from what I'm seeing, no one can really trace, had a promise, and it got passed down that, you know, great, 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 grandpa Kevin or whatever it was, had this promise, and all you've experienced for 400 years is oppression, slavery, challenge. You, in, your, in your family line, it was told that your family line was going to be awesome. It was going to be powerful. And you'd never really seen it. You're kind of wondering, is that going to happen? Your great-great-great-grandpa told your great-great-great-grandpa told your great-great-grandpa told your great-grandpa told your grandpa, told your parents that things were going to get better, they all died in slavery. It didn't for them. And so now here you are, you're waiting. Will you see this so-called promise fulfilled? Or are you going to die too? And will it be maybe another 400 years? Maybe you're in the middle of the struggle. So Moses, we, we, we understand that Moses had some level of understanding of his family history. He was likely raised by his mother through his early years and then ended up living in the palace and received an Egyptian education, more than likely. He had, has a desire to help the oppressed. We've seen that by rescuing a Hebrew and Ruel's daughters. But my guess, he doesn't really have many connections to the promises of old. I, I think... People that uh, were raised going to Sunday school, and then they grow up, they walk away from church, and it's like, yeah, I remember hearing some sort of Sunday school stories way back in my childhood, but like, are those real? I think they would be able to relate to Moses. And then Moses goes for a walk in the desert, and God is about to meet him and drastically alter Moses' life. So that's the context. Let me read to you uh, Exodus chapter 3, 1 to 15. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this moment, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, 
Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, "Uh, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So, after 400 years, God speaks to Moses and reminds him of his covenant with Abraham, Moses' forefathers, and God's desire to rescue them. And guess what, Moses you're the one God's going to send to do the job. There's a quote from uh, Desmond, T. Desmond Alexander that says this, kind of a summary of, of Exodus. Exodus is essentially a book about knowing God through personal experience. The plot centers on the relationship that develops between the Lord and the Israelites. From the dramatic meeting of, with Moses at the burning bush to the glory of the Lord, filling the tabernacle. Throughout Exodus, God always takes the initiative, revealing himself not only through words, but also through signs and wonders. In differing ways, he reveals his most significant attributes, his sovereign majesty, his holiness, his power to perform miracles and wonders, his awesome glory, his righteousness, his compassion. So Exodus is about knowing God, through personal experience. Moses is the first Hebrew that God reveals himself to and speaks to in 400 years. And so there needs to be some sort of introduction, some sort of reintroduction. But before even the introductions happen, there needs to be the necessity of recognizing God's holiness. The ground is holy because God is present. I think it's a fairly safe assumption that after hearing a voice coming from a burning bush that isn't burning, Moses ends up removing his sandals and acknowledges the holiness of the moment, the holiness of the ground, the holiness of the God that he is meeting with. So then there's the introduction. I am the God of your fathers. In other words, remember those stories you were told as a kid before you went off to the secular university of the Egyptian palace? Yeah, those Sunday school stories, those were real. 
and it's time for the old promise to be fulfilled. I am going to rescue my people. I think Moses, if we pause there, I think Moses' response is, that's awesome. Wow, like this is great. My people are going to be rescued? Until the next line, and I'm going to send you to do it. Now go. And I think Moses kind of just went, what? Me? Whoa, whoa, whoa. That all sounded great, all these promises of deliverance. Me? Who am I? You're calling me to do this? The Egyptian-raised murderer who runs away and becomes a shepherd? And God doesn't really answer his question about who am I. It's almost as if it doesn't really matter who you are, Moses. It will be God doing the work. God simply answers Moses' question with, I will be with you. And Moses says, okay, okay, so what if other people want to know who you are? In other words, who are you? Like, just give me a refresher here on what we're talking about. And this is where God gets really personal. God says in verse 14, I am who I am. That's who I am. I will be who I will be. Just say that I am has sent me to you. So if you're getting into your Bible and you're trying to, trying to learn some of the, the, the different nuances of the Bible, as, you, as you're reading it, you'll see the name God in the Old Testament. That, that comes from Elohim, one of the names for God. God the Almighty One. It, it's the generic God name. But then you'll also notice that in your Bible there will be the Lord in all caps. And that's, that's Jehovah. That's, that's the personal name of God. I, I highly recommend doing a, a word study on the names of God. Elohim, Adonai, Jehovah. This is the personal name that we're looking at here. The I am. This is Jehovah. Today, we simply need to recognize that this was a personal encounter between God and Moses. And this reconnects Moses to his ancestors and the covenant that God made with them 400 plus years ago. God is faithful. And he will fulfill his promise even if 400 years of slavery have gone by. So this is known as the the call story of of Moses. It's rather dramatic, especially since it was so common, uncommon, uh, for people to encounter God directly at the time. And you can stay tuned for next week to hear all about Moses' questions and his resistance and all of those signs that God gives him. But as we think about how this relates to us, it's important to note that there is a massive difference between how God meets with Moses and how God meets with us today. In the Old Testament, God spoke to individuals. Uh, His presence was revealed in the tabernacle. But I'm pleased to say that because of Jesus, each one of us can have a burning bush moment with Yahweh, with Jehovah, with Jesus. We can personally meet God in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay. John chapter 15, 
when Jesus is calling, he's speaking to his disciples, he says he's calling them out of the world. To his original hearers, the audience that he was talking to at the time, they would have immediately connected the analogy with being called out of Egypt. Hebrew ancestors being called out of Egypt, similar to Jesus calling his people out of the world of sin and into a life of freedom. One of the key points uh, in Exodus from that quote that I read is that God initiates relationship with us. God initiates salvation for the Hebrew people from Egypt and he initiates salvation for us from the sin, from bondage of sin and death. Just like the people of Israel, we too can be set free. And for us, freedom comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We just celebrated Christmas. That's the initiative. We celebrate the initiative that Jesus came to earth to save us. God took the initiative and he revealed himself to me as well. I was on a canoe trip as an extremely immature grade 7 boy. In hindsight, I can only attribute it to God drawing me to him. But I snuck away from the group. I went up a shale slope. I overlooked a lake, a mountain, a beautiful sunset. And I had this moment of just looking out over this beautiful scenery. And it was very clear that everything I had been taught in Sunday school up to that point about God's love for me was real. And it's this profound moment that has stuck with me to this day. I'm not going to oversell it. I was a grade 7 boy. It was like five seconds long. And then I went off and did something stupid. I don't know what happened. But it still sticks with me today that God met this grade 7 boy in that moment through creation. And just all those Sunday school stories from my, my childhood, the, the questions that were starting to stir in my mind were settled. It was like, nope, God loves me. Those stories are true. I'm following him. That was my burning bush moment. So, if you want to meet God, there's a few things I think we draw out from this text. First of all, it is his initiative. He will draw you towards himself. If you're familiar with uh, the chronicles of Narnia, Aslan, the great lion, He appears to draw the children into Narnia when and where and how he wants. And yet, he's also seemingly present the whole time. His timing is perfect, even if we do not understand it. 400 years? 12 years? It's his initiative. Ultimately, it is is not ours. Second, If we want to meet God, we recognize that God reveals himself various different ways. Through Aslan the lion in a story, through a burning bush, through the person of Jesus Christ, through a beacon of light in the darkness, through studying scripture, through sitting in silence, through viewing creation, through a close friend, 
through a caring family member, at a massive evangelistic rally, or when you hit rock bottom. God is there. God reveals himself at all different times, in all different ways to people. It's not the same for everyone. For those of you that are in small groups, that's one of the discussion questions that you'll have this week is how has God revealed himself to you throughout your life? There's going to be some amazing stories uh, in your small groups this week, I believe. So God takes the initiative and God reveals himself. But there is something that we can do and we can draw out from this story on our part of what we do. And so even though it's God who initiates, we can pick up a tip from Moses on how to meet God. There is a sense that Moses needed to be attentive or maybe even curious about God. Many translations word it a little bit better than the NIV. I use the NIV here. But in the, instead of saying, oh, Moses will go over, the phrase is actually, he turned aside to go there. He, he was on one path, but he chose to go and see this amazing thing over here. He had to go over and explore. He had to go and be curious about this bush that was burning but didn't burn up. So there's this this curious, we turn aside from our, our path to find God. I, I think historically there would be many people that would relate to the environment that Moses was in. He was in the desert. And I think it's fair to say it was both physical and and metaphoric in his life. He fled the wealth and riches of the Egyptian palace and was now a lowly shepherd. He was in a desert, literally and figuratively. And God uses deserts as dry times, as tough times, and they end up sharpening our attention to him. I wonder how God is going to use this hard time of this pandemic and the struggles that many of us are experiencing to call people to himself. We simply need to pay attention and be willing to turn aside. Now, I also believe that there are two types of calls that we see in this interaction of God and Moses. The first is meeting God personally. And for, for us, that's through the, the belief in the person of Jesus Christ. The second call is then to go. Verse 10, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. For Mo- Moses, this happens in the same moment. He meets God and he gets a very clear call. Move forward here. But for others, and myself included, uh, these are, are separate. Like I said, I met God, had that burning bush moment when I was, I was 12. But I also had a burning bush moment in my fourth year of Bible school. I spent significant time every day practicing spiritual disciplines, including silence. I had hardly any classes. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I sat at home. In silence, doing nothing, practicing discipline, listening for the still small voice of God, and nothing happened. 
for four months. It was a desert time. Nothing happened. That was September to December. I sat there, nothing. Four months later, sometime around April of that the following year, a campus pastor in a discussion told me to go and be a pastor. I've had other people talk to me, suggest things, nothing. This one stuck in my head for days. It was like God was yelling at me. I, hardly, I had a hard time sleeping. I couldn't focus. It was this gong ringing in my ears as if someone had been yelling at me. And I can only attribute it to the discipline that I had learned a few months before of just paying attention to God, tuning in my ears to God. And there was that training through that desert time. And that call started my journey here. There's other signs and wonders of God revealed along the way, but it takes quite a bit to get a BC boy to move out to the prairies. He had to speak pretty loud. So God initiates and God reveals himself, and we need to pay attention and be prepared to turn aside. As I said, there there are two types of calls. God calls us to know him as the person of Jesus and recognize his holiness and our own sinfulness, to change our path uh, to align to his way. And God calls us to follow him, to go, make disciples, free the oppressed. God reveals himself to Moses and then calls Moses to go, and he would be with Moses. So let's, let's get a detail of this story out of the way. Moses' age. Moses' life is defined, divided up into three groups of 40. He spends the first 40 years in the palace. He spends the second 40 years in Midian, the desert, and spends the third 40 years leading God's people into the wilderness, out of Egypt. So let me start by talking to the 80-year-olds plus. You are not too old to be called by God. Can you imagine this? An 80-year-old, calling an 80-year-old to go on a 40-year walk. Some, from what I hear, it's hard to get out of bed when you're 80. For the 80-year-olds in the room, you are not too old to be called by God to do some amazing things. To the under-40s, specifically those college grads who are wondering what to do with their life, remain curious. And with that, be content. You may need to wait another 40, another 60 years. God takes the initiative. But be faithful, recognizing that God is preparing you. Into that middle crowd, the 40 to 60-year-olds, I'm going to jump ahead to, to Exodus chapter 4, and Reg, you can hope I'm not stealing your thunder for next week, but uh, there, there's this line of what's in your hand that God asks. Moses was a shepherd, and God uses career, God uses the tools of the trade, God uses the place of life that we're at as part of the calling on our life. 
and he uses it for his purpose at the stage that we are at. So the point, regardless of your age, regardless of the stage of life, the point is that God is calling you to himself and that God is calling you to go. And it's never followed up by go and build your own empire, go climb the corporate ladder, go accumulate some wealth and prestige for yourself. It is go and deliver people from bondage and oppression. It is go and make disciples. Go and impact other people's lives for the glory of God. So God initiates and God reveals and God calls us to know him and make him known. We need to be attentive. We need to be willing to turn aside. And then we need to be willing to go in faith that God is with us. We're going to transition to, uh, to communion together. And when God reveals himself through his word, uh, we are called to respond. And today we're going to respond through communion together. Uh, we, experience, we say here we experience and model Jesus' love in the context of community. And Jesus gathered together his disciples and he shared a meal together with them. And we call it communion, we call it the Lord's Supper. And we are invited by Christ to be in relationship with him. And this is regardless of past successes or failures, we are invited to accept his invitation, his grace, to come and join him at the table. Partaking, eating in the, uh, the Lord's Supper is for people who have accepted Jesus' invitation into relationship. Even if that's today. Even if it's like, yep, this is the first time I am now accepting Jesus. You are welcome at the table. Everyone is invited to come. But if you accept his invitation, the implications are significant. You are asked to leave your old way of life behind and choose to identify with Christ. But you are not alone in this. The church is united together in communion at the Lord's table. The church is to stand with one another as people that are transformed by Jesus, leaving their old life behind and together in community embracing life with Christ. So a couple of questions for reflection. For those, as you consider entering into the Lord's Supper, does your lifestyle identify you with Christ? If not, confession. Simply confess to Jesus. My lifestyle has not reflected your ways. Forgive me, and the arms of Christ are so wide open to forgive you. It's been done on the cross. Second question, are you in right relationship with others? And if not, confess and simply be, commit to restoration in that relationship. Uh, for the parents that are in the room and the kids uh, that might still be here, we encourage you to discuss this with kids and discern together the readiness. If as a parent you don't have adequate understanding of communion, I would love to explain it to you sometime, and I would encourage you to watch and learn for now. 
I, uh, I, I also have to do a little bit of a tangent here, a personal conviction of mine, that his, and it comes from history, is historically, baptism precedes communion. This doesn't mean that you need to be baptized to take communion. It simply means that if you're taking communion, you're likely ready to be baptized. And if you're partaking in communion, that's wonderful. And if you haven't been baptized, we have baptism sessions starting next week. I would love to walk you through that process. You can come and talk to me. You can talk to one of the staff. We would love to see you follow Jesus through baptism. Gluten-free is at the back. When you're done uh, at the end of the service, please put your cups in the baskets. To get the wafer out, there's two layers. There's the top layer that you pull off very carefully, and then you can get at the wafer. And then after that, we'll take off the second layer and get the juice. Everyone making sense? Following me? Good. So, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks and he broke it in pieces. And he said, this is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the the wafer together in remembrance of Jesus. And then in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed by my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Let's partake together of the juice. For every time you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he returns again. I'd like to call the worship team up. For those of you at home, you're missing out on the sound of it raining in here with all the little cups. I love it. Let's let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for calling us to yourself to follow you. And as we remember your sacrifice on the cross, continue to remind us of the hope that we have in your resurrection and in your coming return. We ask that you would continue to unite us as your people around your table. We give you thanks and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.